we, uh, Pastor Alwyn, we must be flowing in the same river or something because we're. I'm, I'm speaking from First Samuel as well this morning. We are coming out of First Samuel 16 verses 1 through 12. So let's read. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he's going to kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are an, you are to anoint for me the one who I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said, and when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now I want to stop right here for a second. I won't preach too much, but he said, yes, I come in peace. Last, Just last week, Pastor Alwyn preached about peace and how peace is a person. Because in this very moment, it's not a peaceful situation. Because peace is not the absence of a storm. But in the midst of this, Samuel was coming in a stormy situation because he knows that Saul, if he finds out what's happening, he's going to get killed. That's not a peaceful situation, but he says, yes, I come in peace because God's presence is upon him. Let's continue reading. When, the, when they arrived, verse 6, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at their outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, nor the Lord has chosen this one. Jesus had, uh, Jesus, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending to the sheep. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I invite you into this place this morning. Let your anointing be upon me as we speak so that people aren't hearing my words, but they're hearing your words, God. Lord, I pray that as we go through the depths of your word, as we see what you want to speak today, Lord, let us receive it into our hearts. Let us receive it into our minds and let us embody it. Let us carry that as we live out our lives for you, Heavenly Father. Lord, let this word change us to grow closer to you, to grow nearer to you, to grow us more into who you're calling us to be. Lord, I give you all the praise and I give you all the glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Amazing job. Let's give these guys a hand. Jazza's got some vocal cords on him. Last week he was kind of hiding in the backup vocals, but today, my gosh. My gosh, so good. 
I want to ask you this question. Have you ever thought of something as small or insignificant when really it was something big? Men, if you're married, that's definitely you. I know that I am often in that situation all the time. Katie's often like, Regan, what should I wear to this event? Oh, just you know, chuck on some jeans and a shirt. To me, it's just a small thing, but to her, it's a big thing. And there's so many things like this in our lives where uh, to us it may seem like a small thing, but really to somebody else it might be a big thing. Now, a great example of this is I grew up in a small town. Has anybody heard of the town of Toowoomba? Yes. So I grew up my whole life, I'm hearing some funny little giggles, small town Toowoomba. (laughs) Uh, I grew up my whole life pretty much in Toowoomba and... um, I played soccer growing up and um, because Toowoomba was an okay city for soccer but if you really wanted to grow and challenge yourself you had to go play in Brisbane. So often I would come and play in Brisbane and they'd find out I came from Toowoomba and they'd often, you know, give a bit of flack, oh, country boy Toowoomba, where is Toowoomba even, never heard of that place, in the middle of nowhere. Um, And so my whole life I grew up thinking that Toowoomba was this tiny little country town um, that you could drive across in 20 minutes but you know, to me that was small because I would travel to Brisbane and Brisbane was the big smoke. Um, and then I, um, towards the, the end of my high school soccer career, I got a scholarship to go play in America and then I got given a roommate who I was going to be boarding with um, at college in America. And we started getting talking and we were talking and I was like, oh yeah, so where are you from? And he just says, I'm from the boondocks. I was like, okay, Google that, it doesn't come up. Okay, boondocks, cool. Okay, you're from the boondocks, awesome. And it wasn't until we, uh, you know, I flew over to America, I met him at the airport, and we start driving to his place, and we're driving for like two hours, and we drive out of Atlanta, and then all of a sudden there's like less houses, less buildings, and we keep driving, and we keep driving, and all of a sudden there's just forests and trees. I'm like, okay, where are you taking me? Um... We keep driving and we see nothing but trees for like half an hour. And then all of a sudden we turn off the road onto this dirt track. And I'm like, whoa, this is like a horror movie. Like what's going on here? (laughs) But we turn off and we drive up and in the middle of nowhere is this house. And he was like, welcome to the boondocks. I was like, okay, so you're really from somewhere small. Um, And then years later, like I think it was about a year later, he comes and visits here in Australia, and I take him back to Toowoomba, which is where we were living at the time. And I'd also told him I was from a small town as well. And we drive to Toowoomba, and he was like, you call this small? How often in our lives do we see things as small in our own eyes, but to somebody else, it's something bigger? So many times in our lives, we can see through our own perspective, our own context, and we see it as small. I wonder how many times we see things as small when God sees it as big. I wonder how many times that the small little things that we do, the small little things that we say, we say is insignificant or doesn't matter, but in reality, maybe God sees that as a big thing. You know, in the Bible, we just read about um, uh, Bethlehem and... Samuel was sent to Bethlehem to go and anoint David. Well, did you know that Bethlehem was a small town? In Micah 5.2, it says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrath, though you are small among the clans of Judah, 
out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over all of Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Now, here in Micah, he's actually talking about Jesus, but I want you to hone in on the words of, though you are small, out of the small things, God saw that as big. Because out of the small place, the saviour of the world comes. Something big and something massive. You know, scholars say that at the time that this was written, Bethlehem was a town, if you could call it that, of just a few hundred people. That was small, but out of that, big things came. God used a place and a town that was small not only to call a man named David to become one of the best and greatest kings of all of Israel, but he calls the saviour of the world out of a small place. God loves the small. God's all about the small. God cares about the small things. Now, I'm not just saying that because I'm from a small town. And if you're from a big town, it's okay. It's okay. We're going to dive into things a little bit more deeper. uh, And we've got a word today. Because we're not just talking about small towns, but we're talking about small mindsets, small actions, small uh, things in our heart can make all the difference because we may see it as small, but out of those small things are big things. And God calls big things out of the small things. Because... Even in our weakness, those small things where we may feel insufficient, where we may feel not good enough, where we may feel lesser than, in Corinthians it says that my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. I wonder if God cares about the small because if we were big, if we came out of the big, if we were uh, strong and mighty, that his power would seem less. Quite often the Bible talks about how, you know, it's not by your strength but by my might. It's not by what you do but because of what I've done for you. It's because out of the small things God can be glorified in it all. So I want you to turn to your neighbour and I want you to tell him it's all about the small. It's all about the small. So we're going to be talking about a lot of small things today, um, but we're going to find out that although we may see it as small, God sees it as big. Can we talk about purpose and calling for a minute? It's something that, um, you know, uh, everyone seems to want to find their purpose and define their calling um, and it's this weird kind of thing in, you know, what is my calling and what am, what's my purpose? What am I doing in this world? Um, and so often, so often we look for the big thing. We're always looking for the next big thing. God, what do you have for my life? What's the amazing thing that you have for me? You know, your word says more than I can think, see or imagine. What, what's the big calling that you have for my life? But maybe God's not telling you to look for the big thing. Maybe he's calling you back to the small thing. He tells Samuel, go and fill your flask. It's a small thing. Fill your flask. Stop mourning over Saul the king. Just go fill your uh, your flask with olive oil. 
and go to a small place. Go to Bethlehem. Go and find the young one, or we'll come and look a little bit later, but the small one, David. Maybe God's not calling you to the big thing, but he's calling you to the small thing. Along the way, Samuel comes and he see he comes, all the sons of Jesse are lined up in front of him. I can just imagine, you know, seven of them lined up along and Samuel's kind of standing there here with his, his oil flask just waiting. All right, you cross in front. Okay. The first one, Eliab, he says, surely this must be the one. He was big and he was strong. I wonder how many times we come to an opportunity and something gets put in our lap and it's a big thing and we go, surely this is my calling, God. But what happens when God says, no, it's not that one? Seven times, seven sons, seven opportunities, seven callings, seven purposes. I wonder if we have the perseverance to push through and to keep looking even when things get put in our lap, but God says, no, this is not for you. I wonder when we get towards the end of that, we go, we're running out of opportunities. Do you start growing weary and tired and going, God, is there anything for me? I keep trying, keep pushing through. I get a job and then I lose a job or I have an opportunity and then that opportunity changes or things like that. I wonder how many times, what have you got for me, God? What have you got for me? I was, for me, first of all, I had soccer. I was gifted with talent, played really well. But God said, no, that's not for you. I get a master's degree in physiotherapy and I start my physiotherapy physiotherapy degree. And God says, no, that's not for you. Get a specialty. I specialize into a specialist field of physiotherapy and God goes again, no, not for you. Here's what I've got for you, a small church. But you see, God doesn't see it as small. You may look around at this hotel in a small room, but out of the small, God calls the big things. Because God doesn't ask us to stay in the small. He never told Jesus, he never told Samuel, stay in Bethlehem. He said, go to Bethlehem. But out of that place, Jesus then traveled. Out of that place, Jesus and the gospel and the word spread across all the world. He never said, stay in that place. Jesus isn't, or God's not saying, stay in this place. This is not our home. This is a temporary place. But out of the small things, big things grow. You know, even um, talking about people of the Bible, God called Abraham, who at the time was just with his family, but he called him to a big nation. There are so many times that God starts us off in the small, but then calls us to the big. And I wonder why he does that. Maybe it's to protect us. Maybe he's looking out for us. Because maybe we're not ready for the big thing. Maybe we're not ready to handle the big thing yet. 
doesn't mean that we're not ever going to get there. But God wants to grow you the right way. God wants you to grow your capacity to do what you need to do, the thing that he's calling you to do or the person that he's calling you to be. But if he was to drop you there in that big place, maybe you'd get swallowed up. Because what is small today by the power of God will not always be small. You know, as we look around at this small place, as we look around at our lives, I wonder what's that small thing that you can do? What's that one small thing? What's that one small step that you can take today that may be small now, but in the future, in the days to come, as you keep taking that small step, as you keep doing that small little action, I wonder what it will be in a year's time, two years' time. 10 years' time? What are the small little things and the small little actions that you're going to do that are one day going to be big? Because God's outside of time. He knows what your future is. He sees the bigness within you. But maybe we got to start off small. You know, when David, when Samuel was anointing David, Jesse says, oh, Samuel asks, is this all of your sons? And Jesse goes, oh, there's the young one. Now, if we look at the Hebrew, which is, I'm going to try my best here. Follow along with me. It's Hakatan. Say that three times fast. No, I'm kidding. Stop. (laughs) Don't do that. Hakatan. That can be also translated as small, the small one, the insignificant one. Now, um. The small things may be small to begin with, but under God's anointing and God's power, David became king and David became powerful. He became a warrior because of what God did in his life. He was the small one, he was the young one, but God turned him for big. So we're just talking about um, why... Why maybe we start off in the small? Why is our call in the small? Can we talk about protection for a second? Protection. The context of this whole story, so we we come full circle and you know what's happening and going on. The context of the story was Saul was currently king of Israel um, and Israel was in at war with the Philistines. Now, Israel was not in a position to be battling anyone. In fact, they were in such a vulnerable position, in a small position, that they couldn't even sharpen their own swords or axes to go to battle in. In fact, if they wanted to sharpen or fashion a weapon, they actually had to go to the enemy and pay the Philistines, who were controlling all the iron and all the blacksmithing and things like that, they had to pay their enemy to create weapons. That's how vulnerable they were at the time. Imagine having to go to your enemy and ask for, hey, can you give me a sword so I can go to battle against you? That's a pretty vulnerable position. Now, the whole idea of the kings is that God never wanted Israel to have a king. God wanted to be their king. Now, Israel asked for a king. Why? Because they wanted to be like the other nations. The other nations had kings 
for their protection. They needed a leader. They needed a person to be able to lead them to protect themselves against the warring nations as they would fight against each other. And so Israel, out of a cry of self-protection, asked for a king. Now, I wonder how often we try to protect ourselves but end up putting up barriers between ourselves and the presence of God. I wonder how many times we try to protect ourselves from what God has for us by putting up walls and trying to protect ourselves. You know, the call of God is, being careful here, the call of God is not a safe one. God calls us out into the bigness of the world to go take the gospel to all the ends of the world. It's not an easy one, but it requires the presence of God to be on us to be able to carry those things out. But in an effort of self-protection, I wonder if we can put up barriers and pull back, but it comes in the way of our presence with God. You know, up until then, God had protected them. He, as he protected them coming out of Egypt, he swallowed up the Egyptian army. God was the one who brought down the walls of Jericho so they could go in and crush them. The um, Lord of Heaven's armies would often go to battle with them, even though the Israelites were a much smaller nation compared to some of the places that they were um, going to battle with. It was God's power and God's anointing upon them that often brought them through. But in this moment, they felt so vulnerable that they had to get a king who was Saul. And in the process of that, it came between them and God. How often do we pull back? How often do we try to protect ourselves? But it ends up coming between us and God. Because often we reach for the things that may comfort us, but we don't realize how much it ends up costing us. Because comfort is easy, but at the same time what you're doing is you reach for comfort, you reach for protection. If it's not of God, then it ends up costing us. Because God's got bigger, he's got greater, but it must be him and his anointing upon you, his protection that calls you into the deep. You know, I think of Peter as he walked on the water. He needed God's presence to walk on the water. It wasn't safe. There was waves everywhere and it ended up being the waves and the storms that ended up distracting him and he looked away from Jesus and that's when he began to sink. But while he was looking, while he, Jesus was with him, he was able to walk on water. So maybe instead of looking for a protection policy in other things, maybe we need to be looking for the presence. Instead of a protection policy, let's be looking for the presence. If I could get the worship team up. That would be great. Saul, coming back to the king of Israel. Saul was just like our friend Eliab. In fact, the Bible talks about Saul being big and tall and strong. It said that he was head and shoulders taller than anybody else in the land at the time. He was the son of a wealthy man you would think that he would have all the confidence in the world, all the strength. He wouldn't be afraid of anything. He was big and tall and strong. I come from wealth, so money is not a problem. Resources are not a problem. 
But do you, do you realize that Saul himself didn't see himself that way? 1 Samuel 15 verse 17 says, uh, Samuel said, to, he's talking to Saul. Samuel said, although you were once, what does that say? Small. Although you were once small in your own eyes. I wonder how many of us think that we are small in our own eyes. You see, there's a problem with that. Because God doesn't see you as small. We may see ourselves as small. It's okay for God to say that we're small because he sees the bigness in us. But when we call something small that God has said is big, then there's an issue at hand. You know why it's so different when it comes to us as Christians to be calling ourselves small. We can call towns small, Toowoomba's small, but in somebody else's context, Toowoomba's a big, massive city. Um, But when we start talking about ourselves as small, the problem is, is that Christ lives within you. When you accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour and Jesus comes and he lives inside of you, but then you start calling yourself small in God's eyes, you start diminishing your divinity. Instead of acknowledging and trying to make small of our humanity, we all know we're sinful. We all know we have our shortcomings. We all know that we're not the greatest at everything. But when we start seeing ourselves as small, you're stopping Jesus. You're stopping the power because you're calling inadvertently something that God has called big. You've made it small. And you're holding that back. You're holding back what God can do through you, what He can do in you. Because when you constantly start seeing yourself as small, it actually isn't humility. Oh, I can't speak clearly. I'm not big and strong. I don't know everything. I've only got a high school diploma. I've only got a TAFE degree. God doesn't care about all of that. God doesn't care. Because in our weakness, in our weakness, in our smallness, that's where God works. So we're not small in our own eyes. We should be big in our own eyes. There's a verse in Luke 12, verse 24. Consider the ravens. Now, do you know the ravens were an unclean bird? They were small, they were insignificant, they meant nothing. But here it says, they do not sow or reap. They have no storerooms or barns, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? The smallest, dirty, insignificant little bird. But God cares about them enough to feed them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? 